We want to welcome everyone to this week's ICEJ weekly webinar coming to you from the headquarters in Jerusalem of the International Christian Embassy. I'm David Parsons, one of the vice presidents here at the ICEJ and our senior spokesman. And our topic this week, a biblical theme, we're talking about Purim and the lessons of Purim, this uh, very unusual and very happy a Jewish festival. Well, you can all, always, I mean, Purim and party, uh, it seems like it goes together. Going to have Purim parties. It is really a, uh, probably one of the most joyous festivals on the Hebrew calendar. And here to help talk about uh, Purim, the meaning of it, uh, the significance of it, the traditions around it, is our friend Rabbi Shmuel Bowman. Good to see you, Shmuel. Good to see you too, David. Now, well, of course, we've worked with him for many years. He's the executive director of Operation Life Shield, partnering with him to put uh, life-saving portable bomb shelters along uh, in vulnerable communities all Israel's southern and northern borders, primarily around the Gaza periphery. For many years, you're well-known to a lot of the Christian embassy folks around the world, but you're also a Torah scribe. And uh, a specific Torah uh, scribe that repairs damaged uh, Torah scrolls, correct? Yeah, I, that's that's my my highest passion is in a sense restoring a Torah scroll that uh, that is no longer usable for whatever reason and bringing it back to use. I also have, however, uh, write. Um, new things as well, the zuzza, which goes on the doorposts, and other things you, like you that. Need that. You need that scripture from, uh, where is it, uh, Deuteronomy Numbers, about uh, going, uh, bind them on your heart, go, and you're going in, and you're coming out. Exactly, exactly. We're going to get it from Numbers uh, 6, and it's the Shema, Shema Yisrael, um, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in a sense, that mezuzah is uh, a security system, right? It's like uh, having a security system in your house. You are now, you know, you're fulfilling that commitment, um, and uh, it provides it provides that coverage. Um, and I also uh, check mezuzahs, and I also check uh, other other things like that. But you're right. For me, there's nothing like opening up a Torah scroll, you know, and uh, something like the scrolls behind me, opening it up. Finding maybe there's been some damage, uh, maybe there's been some wear and tear, maybe there's been some mold. You know, it's an organic product, and getting in there and finding a way to how do we, how do we, uh, how do we heal this thing? <laughs> and bring it yeah. Up. All right, Forum is talking about the it's the story and the scroll of Esther is like a separate scroll in in the Bible, and uh, quite fascinating story. But today. Uh, uh, it's coming up in a few days. Uh, I think it starts Tuesday evening of next week and into Wednesday. And of course, in the evening is an important part where the kids dress up in, uh, in costumes and the men, they get <laughs> intoxicated. You're intoxicated. I just want to make, actually, it's, it's very interesting because uh, it just goes to show how, how you are so in in Jerusalem, you are you are in the embodiment, right, of Jerusalem. And you're right on Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Purim actually is 
um, Tuesday night, the 7th this year, 7th of March, and then the day of the Wednesday, the 8th. However, the diaspora. No, no, outside of Jerusalem. Or even, let me be even more clear, anywhere outside a walled city. City, yes. In other words, a city that had a wall from the time of Joshua. Okay? So, um... That did not include my own town of Kildover Hills, North Carolina. <laughs> it does not. It does not. But it does include, uh, it does include Jerusalem. Some people argue that it might include uh, Tiberias. Uh, certainly, it would include Jericho. But definitely... Jerusalem is the main place, and there it's going to be, and we can talk about that later, but that's going to be on the evening of the 7th, the Tuesday night, and the day of the, everywhere else, right, where I live, it's going to be Monday night, and then the day of Tuesday, the 7th of uh, March. It's a two-day holiday, and uh, they call it Orem Shushan. Right, so so the, the, the um, when it's celebrated in Jerusalem, Okay, then it's going to be called Shushan Purim, which is the day after uh, Purim is celebrated. And that really reminds us uh, that, you know, and, and I encourage everybody, if you, like, if you haven't read the, the, the scroll of Esther, if you haven't read the book of Esther, read it. If you've read the book of Esther, read it again. I mean, I've read it many times. I've written, I've, I've scribed the scroll of Esther. Uh, I actually gave it as a, um, as a gift to my father. And it was a beautiful experience. And even while writing the Scroll of Esther, even though I've studied it many, 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 many times, just by going through it again, new insights, new awarenesses. So I highly encourage. But one of the things that we're going to find when we read the Scroll of Esther at the end is that the battle, if you will, against the those who would kill the Jewish people continued an extra day, exactly, into a second day in uh, the walled city of Shushan, okay, which is in present-day um, Iran, Iran, Iraq. Yeah, exactly. Is it Iran yet? Yeah. And um, and so as a as as a kind of a as a nod to that, we have Shushan Purim in Jerusalem. That means, by the way, if you want to go and celebrate Purim two days in a row, you do the first day outside of Jerusalem, and then you could go into Jerusalem on the next day and celebrate it again. So you just, you're just going to be in Purim for like two days. <laughs> and uh, well, as you go through the Hebrew calendar each year, you, of course you got Passover in the spring, Shavuot or Pentecost, then the fall holidays, and these are all given to Moses. You have two main holidays though in the sort of winter months that are uh, they're in the biblical text in a way. They celebrate events in the biblical text, Hanukkah and Purim. And always remember Hanukkah. The kids are having fun. It's eight days light in the Hanukkah. The kids get presents and all. But you, it's a holiday that marks uh, an attempt to wipe out the Jewish faith. Whereas Purim, you're celebrating the victory over an attempt to wipe out the Jewish people. That's the yes, no, that's extremely well put, and I think that you've really brought it to the to the to the core idea of the difference between Hanukkah and Purim, two holidays that are not biblical festivals, as you said. You know, the other festivals are going to be a pilgrimage or an aliyah. They're going to be a, a they're going, people are going to come up to the temple, 
um, whether it's going to be for Passover, uh, Shavuot, or Sukkot, Hanukkah, and Purim, you're not going to find them in the five books of Moses. You're not going to find them there. You're going to find reference to the Purim event in the book of the prophets. Okay, that's going to exist in what's called Tanakh. Okay, it's going to sit there in the book of Esther, which is part of the canon of Tanakh. Um, Hanukkah, not at all. Okay, but what's going to be interesting is, is that later on, it's going to become part of our tradition, what we call our rabbinic tradition. Okay, um, and we're going to begin celebrating Purim, not as a biblical festival, but in a sense as a as a as a uh, rabbinic or as a uh, as a as a traditional holiday. It's now become entrenched in something that we do, obviously. Um, and uh, and yeah, Hanukkah, Hanukkah, which we right just celebrated, I guess uh, back in comes out this year, the end of December. Um, yeah, that's about crushing the Jewish faith. Now, that was about saying you can't worship God. Purim is about let's be let's be very very clear. Purim is about a Holocaust. Purim is about the genocide of the Jewish people that is going to take place uh, widespread in the entire uh, world as it was known 2,500 years ago. And we need to look at it in those terms. Okay. Now, um, you said you actually, as a Torah scribe, you've written the, the scroll of Esther yourself. You've reproduced it for your father. And normally when you're doing... Uh, writing a, a Torah scroll, a new, like the Essenes, the Desi scrolls, there was this tradition, every time you came to the name of God or Elohim or Adonai, you had to stop and do a ritual bath and you come back. When you come to the name of, of uh, Hashem in, as a Torah scribe today, do you do anything special? Okay, so um, when you write Shem Hashem, when you write God's name, you, the Torah scribe needs to stop and he's already in a very focused, uh, space. He has to already be focused. You can't be disturbed by anybody. Uh, you have to really be focused no matter what you're writing because everything is the word of God. But when, that would be nice. No interruptions. <laughs> no interruptions. Um, I, I had a, a my, my, my sulfur teacher, my scribe teacher, uh, he had at his, uh, at the entrance, right to his, uh, study. He had a line on the floor and you, you couldn't cross that line. You had to wait at that line until he looked up at you and said, you can, yeah, you can enter. Okay. Um, so, so you have to be focused. However, even more so when you're writing God's name, because if you think about it, if you make a mistake on an ordinary word, okay, well, there are, there are certain situations when you can correct that mistake that may involve erasing a letter or part of the letter. But I, I think the answer is obvious. You cannot erase the name of God. You cannot erase the single dot or, or part of that. So if you're going to do that, you have to be completely focused. Um, you have to make sure that you're really knowing what you're doing. You have to say a special kind of like a, a framework and you have to say, Harani Kotev, I hereby am writing the name of God. You have to say it out loud to yourself so you hear it and then you, and then you write it. Now, here's the thing. Here's the kicker. Okay, this is why I ask. The kicker is, is that in the scroll of Esther, God's name is not mentioned. Yes. Isn't that, isn't that a trip? 
Yeah. So that's really, really what we got to eat. That's a real mind. That's, that's, we got to really get our heads around this, that, that a scroll, that a book in the Bible doesn't have God's name. And yet it's one book, of the Holy one book in the Tanakh where God is not mentioned. Exactly. And yet, and yet, how could it possibly be that an event such as this, which wound up being the turning over from literally the planning of a Holocaust, a mass genocide, 2,500 years ago, how did it become that a genocide that was supposed to be turned around, okay? And not only did it not happen, right? Not only did it not happen, not only were the Jewish people uh, protected, were they saved, not only that, but the enemies, the ones who were supposed to kill us, they're the ones who wound up getting killed. I mean, it was a complete 180, which is what we'll talk about, which Purim is all about. And how could that possibly be that God's name is not in such a scroll? And that is also part of the mask. That is also part of the, the 180. It's just, it just when you think God should be so um, uh, present, uh, God is hidden. And in that hiddenness, God's work is so, so clear. Hidden deliverer. Okay. So give us sort of a synopsis of who's the main players and uh, the scroll of Esther. Right. So when we go into the scroll of Esther, it's, it's, we're really opening up into a story. I mean, it only, if, if, you know, how, you know, uh, you know, bedtime stories or whatever, always begin with once upon a time, there was a king or something like that. This is no different. Right? It happened in the days of the Hashverosh, or I think some people pronounce that name as uh, Xerxes, okay? Uh, who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Nubia, okay? And then he, it goes on about this. You're literally opening up to, uh, you know, uh, almost like a, I use this, a Disney-like story. There's the castle, and there's the banquet, and there's all the ambassadors, Okay, and this is what's going on, and it's taking place in literally the world, the, the, the lead empire, as it were, 2,500 years ago. And basically, the, the, just to give you the real synopsis on this, the story basically is that the lead king, the head guy, uh, he needs a queen. He needs a queen. And he's going to choose from all the women in the entire, not just this country, but in the entire empire. And isn't it amazing that a Jewish woman named Esther, also known as Hadass, winds up getting chosen? And it's very interesting because we have all sorts of ideas about who this person was. Which identity was hidden? Sorry? Her identity was hidden. And her identity was hidden. Exactly. They didn't say we're choosing the, <laughs> we didn't, we're not choosing the, uh, the, you know, Gal Gadot here. We're choosing, you know, we're choosing, uh, <laughs> you know, we're choosing this woman and, uh, and she hides, she hides her, her Jewishness. It's very, very interesting because her Hebrew name is Hadas, and her, uh, in a sense, her Persian name was Esther. Okay? So everything is done in secret. Okay, very nice. She's now that, and, and, and we'll jump forward a little bit to the fact that there's a plot to kill the, uh, the Jewish people. This plot is put forward by Haman, and Haman is an Agagite. Now, uh, that means he's from Agag. It's very, very interesting. Because Agag, if you look back, oh, several generations earlier, Agag is the king of Amalek. Okay, and if we go back to the story of King King Saul and the prophet Samuel, Shmuel, 
we're going to find that God had commanded the king, King Saul, who was from the tribe of Benjamin, right, to kill and destroy the entire nation of Amalek because they were going to be the enemy of the Jewish people forever. And he does, except for the king. He keeps Agag alive. And Samuel comes along, and of course, probably one of the, the most non-politically correct prophets you're going to find. And he uh, he cuts him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's, there's this bleeding of the sheep I hear that Saul had kept some sheep, and he let, then finds out he kept King Agag alive. He had been ordered to kill them all, but he did Exactly. And we find that King Agag, before he died, is actually able to um, sire a, uh, a child. And that became, you know, continued the Amalek uh, dynasty, if you will, all the way to Haman. And it says, he's an Agagite. And so now we have Haman, who is a descendant of Agag, who we meet, you know, earlier in, in with King Saul. And, and then... He's an uh, Amalekite, which was Israel's enemies since the Exodus. Exactly. And I love this part. This is why God is so amazing, because you, we we more, we more little humans couldn't come up. We, we couldn't write this. This is just amazing. So uh, there's a fixing. There's a repair. There's a, what we call a chikun, a, a, a repair that needs to happen from all the way back at King Saul. Remember, King Saul is a Benjaminite. He's from Benjamin. And Esther's... Again, we don't know if it's the uncle or if it's her husband or it's her uncle and her husband or if it's a cousin. Anyways, her let's call her uh, her caretaker, her relative is Mordecai, and Mordecai. A lot of people say it's it's her uncle. Again, some people say it's her husband. Nevertheless, guess what? Mordecai is from the tribe of Benjamin. Exactly, and so there's this beautiful kind of like history just doesn't kind of like fizzle out. There's a fixing that's going to happen, and, and God's timing isn't necessarily our timing. So if King Saul didn't do God's will back, right, back in Jerusalem, it's going to get done now in Persia by the descendants, both of King Saul, that's Mordecai, and of Agag, that's Haman. Now what happens is, is that, if you think about it, what should have happened is, is that the plan should have been carried out. Haman should have, and he paid for it. Haman paid for the right to have him and all his henchmen and henchwomen, we can't leave the women out of this, kill the Jewish people and do it on one specific day. And if you think about it, really, David, that's really what should have happened. And in fact, I and you would not be sitting here today, okay? The Jewish people would not have continued. And with that, by the way, the Christian people would not have continued. It would have ended 2,500 years ago. Goodbye. It would have been a footnote in history. And instead, what happens is that Esther, who's a Jewish woman in hiding, is confronted by her uncle, husband, Mordecai, and says, Mordecai, and it's in chapter 414, it's one of those famous ones, right? And says, Esther, you got you to gotta approach the king. And she says, listen, you know, protocol and this and that, you know how it is. You know, if, uh, if I approach the king, right? And without having been invited and without having, you know, there's a certain protocols of these things, you know, what's going to happen to me. I could be killed. And Mordecai says, well, okay, but perhaps for such a time as this, you've been placed in the palace of the king. Think about that idea. And you know what, David, when I think about that word, I replace the word uh, palace with any other word uh, of opportunity. 
right? Mordecai says, for such a time as this, perhaps you were placed in the, pal in the palace of the king, right? And who knows, you know, maybe this is your moment. And if you don't do it, you know, well, then your name is just going to be dust and you're going to have no heritage. No one, okay, there's nothing, gonna, nothing is going to outlast you. And Esther has this moment of like, whoa. And she then says, I'll do it. And if what she say, if I die, I die. If I die, I die. She understands what the ultimate costs are. But listen, if you think, if you replace the word, words that Mordecai says, when he says to Esther, who knows for such a time as this, you were placed in the palace of the king. And I'm going to replace the word palace with Congress of the United States, Knesset of Israel, Parliament of Canada and England. Okay. The, um, the, the governments, whatever government you happen to be in, whatever company you happen to be in, whatever business you're in, whatever organization you're in, whatever community you're in. And if you think about it, we're all given an opportunity and Esther is there to teach us. Mordecai is there to teach us that you want to have, you want to do something important in your life. Yes, it could cost you your life. That's a huge, huge thing. But that's perhaps why you're in this place. You think you got here because you're so smart? Ha! You think you got elected to Congress because you're such a smart person? Forget about it. God placed you there for a reason. Yeah, and it's all about time and place. It's all about time and place. And what we have is, is and Esther approaches, approaches the king, and ultimately, really, it's a miracle. Because really what should have happened is she was totally against protocol. And in those days, protocol was extremely important. You did something wrong, you're capital punishment. It's not a fine. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's not bad press. That's it. You, they hang you, okay? And she goes in and he accepts her, her, her petition. And there's a couple of banquets that go on. And at the, ultimately she points out that Haman is going to, you know, that she's a Jewess and that Haman is here to kill her and her people. And, uh, everything is reversed. Now here's something very interesting. Because a lot of people think, oh, why doesn't King Ahasuerus just, you know, uh, cancel the the order to for the Holocaust? It's too late. It's too late. The of the Medes and the Persians. Okay, they can't. They've already. That's it. They're already. They're already building the. They're already building the the the, the machines of execution. They're already. The people are ready. You have to understand that for a whole year. Okay, for a whole year. Uh, while people are waiting to kill the Jewish people, people are sharpening their swords. Okay, they, they're, they, they, every time they see a Jew, they're going, "We're coming after you. We're coming after you." That's it. And and the whole thing changes. The work form comes from lots, which is like casting dice or something. It says Haman was constantly casting lots for month after month after month, trying to figure out when is the best time to kill him. Right. And if you think, exactly. And, and if you think about it again, it's all about this 180 degree, you know, kind of like, we don't believe in chance. I don't, yeah. we, 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 we don't believe in chance, right? All of us who are, um, God centric, God fearing, Bible believing people, the, the concept of chance, it, it, it doesn't exist. It's not part of our vocabulary. And so to call a holiday called this festival Purim, which is in a sense, game of chance. Can you imagine? It's the festival of the game of chance. Yes. And that's what we're dealing with. So it's all... Then cast lots even in the New Testament for important decisions. It's quite interesting. It is. And and, and I think the beat, if you're going to cast lots, then you you better come with the attitude that it's God who's rolling the dice. Okay. And, 
If you're not coming with that, if you think it's just about chance, then forget about it. If you come along and you say, okay, listen, you know, it's, uh, this is what God's will is going to be. That's a different story. So we're, we're not encouraging anyone to go out and play the lottery. <laughs> so it's a very interesting name and it is about uh, him coming up with the exact date. And again, it has to do with this hiddenness. The entire holiday is about what we can't see, right? As you say, the name itself, Purim, is about chance. There's no such thing as chance. God controls everything. Esther hides her name and her identity, okay? Everything is turned around. God isn't present, okay? Or at least not in his name. It's, it's really, really an incredible thing. How do we... So that's, that's the core of the holiday. And then, of course, it's how we celebrate it. Okay, now Haman... He, um, uh, his beef with, uh, I mean, it's fascinating to me. It took me many years before I realized the whole connection back to the story of Saul and, uh, King Agog, that Esther is really another showdown between the house of Agog and the house of Saul. And it all goes back to the Amalekites in, in the wilderness who were, picking off the stragglers in the camp of Israel as they came and through the wilderness. And uh, God said there, there's going to be war between Israel and Amalek uh, in every generation. So you always have to introduce air this. But Haman, when he expresses his hatred of the Jews to, uh, to King Ahasuerus, uh, I want to read this, Esther 3.8. There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver. I, I really hadn't noticed that before, but he bribed him. He yeah, offered him money. The king took it. Yeah, paid ten thousand talents of silver in the hands of those who have charge of the king's business. And what does this say about the spirit of anti-Semitism even today? Well, it's really interesting because we know that the spirit of Amalek, which is just blind hatred, to the point where you're pre prepared to even destroy yourself, you're prepared to do harm to yourself, you're prepared to take tremendous pay, pay incredible cost. The amount of money uh, that Haman is paying King Ahasuerus is exorbitant. I mean, it's the size of, a, of, the, of the budget of a small country. I mean, it's huge. It's very interesting that we go back to Amalek back in the, in the, in the wilderness. They are literally, they're, com they're, they're coming from a great distance. The tribe, but the nation of Amalek is not a border uh, nation to anywhere near the Sinai Peninsula. They're far away, so they're traveling a long way. In the old days, you're going to travel a long way. You're going to take tremendous risks, tremendous costs, and you're actually going to wind up sacrificing a lot of your own people to do that. If you think about it, that's the spirit of pure anti-Semitism. I don't care if it kills me. We take a look at, we take a look at what Hitler did, okay? That, yeah. um, that, that Hitler would actually go after Jews in the smallest of communities using an exorbitant a number they, of... They gave a priority over the war effort when it came time to exterminate the Jews of fine. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know. It's a passion beyond, beyond comprehension. And irrational passion. It's irrational. It's totally irrational. And 
And and we see with Haman, we see Haman is prepared to go into his coffers and yeah. absorb an amount of money for the right, right, to kill the Jewish people. Anti-Semitism today. We see this. We see anti-Semitism today that, that they come along and they say, we don't care if it hurts us. We don't even care if we have to ally, and here's the great part, with people who would otherwise be our enemies. Right? We, we see, we see uh, um, an, an incredible irrational phenomenon today where, where uh, anti-Semites and people who are Jew haters, right? People who are hateful to Jewish people will actually ally with people who would otherwise be their enemies, okay, and form these coalitions, okay, just to go after the Jewish people. It's absolutely the red, the red green alliance, the, the uh, extreme left in the West, and with Muslims. It's interesting, which they shouldn't otherwise be. They shouldn't be in bed together. They shouldn't be in bed together because ideologically they're polar opposites. So we find them together around the issue of 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 hating the Jewish people and hating Israel. So that theme of Amalek is is, is prevalent. It's interesting what you say that uh, um, the, the Amalekites had to come a long way. They they weren't living near Israel, but they came a long way to trying to destroy them. And King Saul had to wipe them out. The Lord said, and Iran is over a thousand miles east of us and Israel's not doing anything in Iran. They used to be friends, but it's this Islamist uh, spirit that's ruling there in Tehran now that is so anti-Semitic. Even Ayatollah Khomeini said, let Iran burn to the ground. We want to destroy Israel. And the same spirit has infected the leadership of the Palestinian people that they would throw away their own people's future and progress and well-being in order to destroy Israel. This is really... Exactly. We, we see, for example, you mentioned before about the work that we do together in terms of protecting um, Israeli communities with bomb shelters. Um, if you think about it, the budget in Gaza, you've got over 50% unemployment in Gaza. What are they doing spending all that money on rockets and rocket launchers? What are they doing wasting money that could be used for social services, healthcare, clean water, and education for their own people? So you think about it, there's such a hatred that goes beyond the rational that they're prepared to spend a phenomenal amount of money of their own resources instead of building hospitals, clean water, education, and social services. Uh, it's absolutely crazy. So this is what we've been dealing with in every generation. So Quorum... Back to the holiday is really all about that. We 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 have this holiday that comes around every year at this time of year. It's in the, the Hebrew month of Adar, the 14th of Adar. This year corresponds to the the 7th of March uh, because we're working in a lunar solar calendar. It changes, but it's roughly around this time of year. It's always one month before Passover. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we have... Amazing ways of celebrating it, and these ways of celebrating are actually entrenched in what's called in Jewish law through uh, the rabbis. And there are four commandments that we do, four things that we do. Uh, one of them is the actual reading of the scroll of Esther. Okay. If you go to a synagogue, they're going to spend the time reading it. Do you repeat it several times in the day? No, but you go to the synagogue, and, and I and I I want to invite everybody who is uh, who is watching this too, if you can. Go over to a synagogue and find out when the Purim a scroll and the scroll of Esther is going to be read. Uh, it's going to be read in the evening um, 
on Monday evening, the 6th, uh, and then on the Tuesday morning, the 7th, unless you're in Jerusalem, it's the following day. Um, and it's amazing because uh, it's going to look like a circus or a carnival. People are going to, kids are going to be dressed up, adults are going to be dressed up. And every time they come to the word Haman, Haman, yes. people are going to make all sorts of noise. And they're going to stamp their feet. You know, these signet, these noisemakers. Exactly. They're going to be noisy. They're going to clap their hands and they're going to go boo. And you think, what's going on here? Are we not reading a sacred scroll? Isn't this written by a Torah scribe according to strict law? Isn't this one of the books of the canon of the Tanakh? And yet we're booing and we're stopping. It looks, it looks, and that's again part of the everything's turned around. What we want to do is we want to blot out the name of Haman. And in fact, the Torah even says that we should. It, it, it says something very interesting. There's a commandment that says you should wipe out the name of Amalek. And then immediately afterwards, it says, remember the name of Amalek. Remember Amalek. So there's, there's, there's two things you have to do. You have to wipe out the name and you have to, uh, and then you have to remember it. So how do you do that? Well, one way is on Purim is by wiping it out. In other words, saying, making a lot of noise, but at the same time saying the name of Haman. Interestingly, by the way, there's a tradition among Torah scribes that in order to fill that, fulfill that mitzvah, in order to fulfill, fulfill that commandment, there's a tradition that some Torah scribes do, and I really enjoy this. Every day, we write the name of Amalek on a piece of parchment, and every day we erase it. So every day we actually go through that process. So one thing is to read the scroll of, of uh, Purim, the scroll of Esther, and we do that uh, in the evening and in the day. You can go for I, what do you do? We get to board head. No, no, just okay. we don't. We're not cheering. We're not clapping. We're just we're just listening and giving honor and giving respect to hearing his name being said. There's no there's no there's no clapping or anything like that. The next thing, the second thing that we do is we actually give um, monetary gifts. We've charity uh, to at least two people. Okay, it's a time for giving charity. Uh, that's also uh, a, a commandment. The third thing that we're doing is that you are sending uh, gifts, edible gifts, gifts of food, okay, to at least one person. At our home, I think we're giving out to probably about 50, but but the mitzvah is for one person, and each uh, parcel of food that you're giving to somebody has to contain two ready-to-eat items. And it can be also a uh, beverage. So you can have a cookie, and a uh, you know a granola bar or a fruit and a beer or whatever you want. You can two things, and the so that's a third thing. And the final thing is the feast. You got to have a meal. You got to have a meal. You got to eat something really special. This isn't you know whatever whatever your budget is. Add something additional to the meal. Make it really nice. And a lot of people, of course, are including wine and other intoxicating beverages. It's very, very interesting. It's not really, it's not really customary for Jews to really be drinking to the point of intoxication. It's not, that's not really our, um, kind of our style to do that, except for one time during the year. And that's on Purim. And some people say you should actually get drunk to the point where you confused. Between Haman and Mordechai. Exactly. Two polar opposites. 
uh, in so many ways so that you can use them. So you're like, oh yeah, and cursed be mortified. Oh, oh, oh no, oh no, I didn't mean mortified. I mean, come on. If you, if you got to that point, you did it. But yeah, you shouldn't be driving either. Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> that should be rule number five. <laughs> no driving on forums. So the other thing is I want to talk about is is the fact of what it means to actually get dressed up. Because people are going to see if you're in the land of Israel, you're going to see people dressed up. And what that means is, you know, you, you, you take a very simple, you know, simple thing like this. And then you, okay, so I'm not thinking. Okay, so now I have transformed myself into a uh, something else. <laughs> Whatever it is, I, don't know what I, I just kind of literally grab this from our costume closet every every Jewish. Family. But like, you'd have to have a few few glasses of wine to wear that in public. <laughs> okay, so you have to have a few glasses of wine. But what's interesting is, what does it mean to put on a costume? What does it mean to put on a mask? What does it mean to change your regular? clothing if you will what does it mean to wear a costume and why do we wear a costume on a purim and i think the reason we wear a costume is because the entire year right i'm perceived a certain way and now on purim i want you to i want to be perceived differently and it has to do with this idea of everything is different on this day everything is turned around you think i was that kind of a person today i'm a pirate or today i'm a king or, or like my granddaughter, right? She likes dressing up like a princess, even though I actually consider her a princess throughout the entire year. Yeah. On Purim, she actually gets allowed to really go the distance and be a princess. Some people, you know, just wear a mask. If I want to, I can take all this off and I can be, keep it back on, it looks, and I can be, you know, you can see that here. Oops, are they? Oh, you can't even see that, sorry. I got, I got reindeer. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. The point is what's, what's, what's the costume all about? The costume is about saying, oh, you think you know who I am the entire year. Let me show you another side. And um, it's also about asking whether or not I can, I can really be truly honest about the kind of person I want to be on forum. This is a very holy day. It's a very holy day. And we put on a costume because maybe putting on a costume is about saying the entire year, I'm not really being honest. And maybe on Purim is the one time of year that I can actually really be truly honest. It's very, very interesting that we talk about Purim and it, it sounds very almost like a children's festival. It sounds like a big carnival. It sounds like this big feast in which we're serving a lot of wine. It sounds very, how should I say it, almost frivolous. Mm. However you think about it, it's actually one of the holiest days of the year. It's so holy, right, that if you think about it, you could even say it's even a holier than the holiest day of the year, which is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. And it's very interesting because Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, you know, you just said Kippur. It's very interesting. There's another way of saying it. We say Yom HaKippurim. I don't know if you've heard that before. Kippurim. It's very interesting that the word Ka, right, the letter Kaf, okay, means like or similar to. So in a sense, what we're saying is the holiest day of the year is Yom HaKippurim. The day Kippurim. The day like or plural. Or. It's very interesting that 
we actually connect the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippurim, to Purim, by saying maybe there's something similar about these two days. So it's a fateful day, and I guess Yom Kippurim is just whether you pass into the next year with a good inscription, whereas Purim was the destiny and fate of the Jewish people hanging on one single day when they were allowed to fight for themselves. Exactly, exactly. So there's there's things that appear to be opposite, but as you just succinctly described, they're actually extremely connected. Yeah. That's very interesting because all the Jewish little Jewish girls, they all want to dress up to be princesses. And uh, that means the rest of the year they're not. They're just, yeah. But uh, my son, he uh, grew up growing up here. He he was a pirate. He was a cowboy. He he was a knight. I tell you, he, he planned it out. The, the, these young kids planned it out weeks and weeks ahead of time. As soon as Hanukkah is over, you're already talking about what are you going to be at Pura? Oh, no, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, I could take your eight weeks and months in advance. I remember when my eldest son, Yoav, uh, was in uh, high school. So he started thinking about what he wanted to be for Purim all the way back in Hanukkah, you're right. And he decided that he wanted to be uh, David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel. And, you know, Ben-Gurion has this, exactly, he's got this hair going on. He's got this, like these two big couples, bundles of white hair. So Yoav figured, well, I better, I had better start growing my hair really, really. And Yoav has like kind of curly hair. So he started growing his hair. So that what he did when he got to Purim is he simply shaved the middle part of his head. Is he rather? Yeah. So he was. It was the real deal. So the people recognized him. <laughs> they did, except for a teacher in his school that unfortunately also had a similar hairstyle to Ben Gurion and thought that Yov was actually dressing up to rock him out. So that created some tension. All good, all good fun. Anyway, yeah. people do. If, if you, you'd have to, you'd have to flip over on your head and do your little yoga stand. And Ben <laughs> used to do that on the beach, and that's why his hair was kind of flatty. Yeah, pretty hilarious. But that's what we do, and and we dress up. We it's a time for um, it's a busy day. Make no mistake about it. You are busy. You're out, Derek giving charity. You're out there giving gifts. You're preparing your suda, your feast. You're reading the Megillah. It's not, uh, you're not just kicking back and just, you know, relaxing. It's, it's a very busy, busy day. Uh, yeah, the thing, I can't believe we've gone, uh, almost 50 minutes on this, 45 minutes and we haven't mentioned Haman's ears. Aha, Amen's ears. Do I have any here? You, you mentioned when you give food to your neighbors and one or two, at least two items have to be edible. You can eat. Does that include Amen's ears? Yes, they do. And Amen's ears, or in Hebrew, they're called Ozne Haman, but in Yiddish, they're called Hamantashen. And for our German speakers who may recognize the word Tash, it means a purse or a wallet. And so it's Haman's wallet. And it's so, again, it's so bizarre that we have an, a delicious edible food, a dessert, which, by the way, only is available uh, a couple weeks before Purim, and then that's it. It's not available again. So this is the time to get it. 
Well, they started showing up in the stores about a month ago. Right, right. So it's a very special time of year. Guess what? The day after Purim, you're not going to find any of them. They're shaped like a triangle. That's a triangle, but you get an idea. That's a triangle. And they're filled with jam or dates or sesame or chocolate or whatever you want. And it's this doughy kind of cake thing. A nice cookie. It's a nice pastry. It's a nice cookie. And the idea is, and it's only available this time of year. We just bought three boxes of them today. <laughs> of, I think we got date, uh, sesame, and chocolate. So something for everybody in the family. And here's what's so interesting. Whether they're called Haman's ears, so we're kind of like, ha, ha, ha. Haman has triangle-shaped ears. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. So now we're going to eat them. Very bizarre. Or whether they're not, they're considered hamantashen. Haman's purse or his wallet, meaning what? The money that he gave. So if you think about it, it's bizarre that we're actually enjoying this edible dessert that is connected to our arch enemy, to someone who actually wanted to annihilate us. We wind up having him hanged as a lot, along with his sons and, and his henchmen, uh, but it's, it's pretty crazy. It's a wonderful, delicious, tasty thing. And um, like a lot of things we do in Jewish tradition, we do a lot of eating and uh, talk about how we almost got wiped out, but we, thanks to God, we survived. Yeah, incredible. Okay, look, the, our, our uh, title of this week's webinar is The Lessons of Purim. You just really unlocked so much about it. It's fantastic. Uh, but I want to read this passage again, honoring the the scroll of Esther, the Word of God, and then let's let's sort of list for the people the lessons of Purim. Uh, this is Mordecai speaking to Esther, challenging her to go into the king, who we already know because his his former wife Vashti upset him. He doesn't want any sort of rebellion by the women in his kingdom. You know, he wants to keep the order of, uh, of his rule, it says, and Morai says to her, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews, or if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Tell us, what do you think are the lessons of, of Purim for us? Exactly. You know, those are powerful words. A God who delivers. Absolutely. When he says, he's teaching her, he says, listen, Reva for Chatzale Yabobu become a fair. Listen, someone, God has promised that the Jewish people will survive. Okay? And that, and that, and that protector is going to come from somebody else. But right now, the calling is on you. And you are chosen. It's, it's up to you. It's not about, you know, if you decide no, it's not that the Jewish people are going to be destroyed. No, no, no. God's promised, promised forever the Jewish people will survive. That's, that protector is going to come from somebody else. But you right now have this opportunity. And it's, it's because you're now in this, in this time. And so the lesson really is, I think, um, you know, about saying, what is my legacy? What is my role? Why have I been placed in this position? And that could be, as I mentioned before, in this company, in this, in this government, uh, amongst the circle of friends, in the media. 
why am I why am I a uh, an inf- how did I become an influencer on, on on the social network? How is it possible that I've been given this gift of art, of music, of writing? Use that God-given skill, okay? And that God-given skill, God wants, especially now, especially in every generation. But David, we don't have to look too far to see how attacked and under attack the nation of Israel is. What role do you have? What role do I have? What role do the people who are watching this have? What can they do? Maybe it's about saying, you know what? It's about allocating more of our charitable dollar to something that is going to be speaking on behalf of the Jewish people. The ICEJ, which speaks so loudly, the most loudly in the world, in most of the countries, you know, uh, 80, 90 nations in the world. What an incredible thing to do to be able to say, you know what, now's the time to increase uh, uh, my giving to that organization and play a role in how this is going to change. Because, you know, in the end of days, right? So when the great scroll is written, okay? So are you going to be in there? Am I going to be in there? It, it, it really, and it's not about ego. It's about saying, what is my, what is my legacy? What, 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 why am I here? And I think that that's a very, very powerful word. The other idea is, is that it's mortifying. It's not God. God isn't coming along. I don't know, but, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, God doesn't necessarily show up in a, uh, you know, in a big cloud and lightning and thunder to most people on a daily basis. But here's Mortify coming along and saying, I'm saying this is the opportunity. We don't have to wait to fire to, to, to there's some great storm or, 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 or another Mount Sinai. Okay. It can come, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a simple teaching and knowing that God is in every word and know that God it, is here. It used the winner of a, of a beauty contest to do, you know, and he's the winner of a beauty contest and our rabbis teach us she was actually, wasn't that beautiful. So. Oh my. <laughs> I, 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 I hate to I hate to burst that balloon, but there's a tradition that that uh, that the reason why her name was Hadas is because Hadas is a green plant. It yeah. had a kind of a sickly green tinge to her. Oh my goodness! I know, but that only goes to Shani even more so. It only goes to Shari even more, more so that the winner of the beauty contest was somebody who. You you haven't seen all these Christian movies and plays about about Esther and poor. Okay, so we can <laughs> we could listen, and I don't want to take away anything from all the beautiful little uh, daughters and granddaughters who dress up as Queen Esther. So we won't tell them, but it's an important point. There's there's incredible work going on, David. There's incredible work going on, and and when it when you when you realize that you have a role to play, when Esther stands up at that feast and turns to her, her husband, the king of the empire, and says, I'm Jewish, and he wants to kill me and my people. Okay? When we stop hiding, <laughs> when we stop hiding, and we say, it's time to tell everybody who I am. It's time for all the, the people who are, you know, the people who are watching this video to turn to their colleagues and say, this is who I am. Enough hiding. And let whatever happens, happens. And if I lose my job and if I lose my friends, right? That's, and if I lose all the people who are so-called friends on Facebook, so be it. This is, I need to be honest about who I am. It's a powerful, it's a powerful lesson for all of us. Okay. So the lessons, God is a, 
hidden deliverer when you when you you know it seems he's not there at all just trust him that he's there at all times he can be a hidden deliverer i think one of the things we really haven't mentioned is that fasting and prayer works oh does it ever Esther called the three-day fast and said you'll fast for me and then i'll go into the king and make my request and fasting and prayer works and that's where god shows up that that uh you know, you're, who are you praying to? Where you're Jews, you're praying to the God of Israel. Yeah. And that on it. also be obedient and finish the job. The disobedience of Saul came back to haunt the Jewish people almost in a horribly incredible way. But God delivered again. Saul should have been obedient, even several generations, and finished the job himself. King Agog. Uh, it's interesting you say you had time to sire another child. That's quite uh, interesting. And then all what you've been mentioning, that uh, God's going to deliver the Jewish people. I think it's a powerful statement of faith by Mordecai. He's going to preserve us. And I've come to that realization myself uh, that uh, God's going to preserve this nation, even today, even from the Iranian threat. I totally believe it. God has not gathered the Jewish people back for some another another mass annihilation by nuclear means here. Not at all. He will deliver. The question is, what means will he use to deliver? Is it going to be us advocating, lobbying, all right, exactly what he's going to use? And the bigger it gets, the bigger the deliverance is going to be. We just need to trust the Lord, pray fast, and stand over because that same spirit is back in Iran right now, that Persian, uh, and that Haman trying to plant there. It's no accidents. And it is about time and place. There's a certain timing, and you're in a certain place. Whatever you've been doing, or whatever God's called to you, be faithful in it. I've seen it myself, Shmuel, uh, in the whole uh, decision of the American government to move their embassy here. I worked back in 1995, worked really hard, drafted, co-wrote the first draft of the bill to move the embassy to Jerusalem. It went through Congress. It got changed, allowed the president to put it off, put it off, all that hard work. You wonder, was it worth it? And then we watched President Trump a few years ago, 2017, recognize Jerusalem the next spring, move the embassy here based on that law from 1995, the Jerusalem Embassy Act, where I was in a certain time and place, being faithful to God, and God had used it all those years later to give a little basis. Uh, Congress said, Trump said, Congress has already spoken on this, and uh, so I'm going to move our embassy there. And be faithful to God where you are, and recognize the moment where God can use you in the place you are. Absolutely, and that's a, a perfect example and a certain a perfect testimony in your own personal life of time and place. The last last takeaway that I want to share with everybody is that Purim is a time of joy, and this is a time for understanding that even where there are dark clouds and there are great threats, that we have a God who loves us, and is not going to let us down. 
And we rejoice in that. And Purim is a reminder. This is a celebration. And we are reminded that we are so fortunate to be God's children and to know that we are, that we're, that we're in, in God's hands. And that's something to celebrate. So I, de I definitely want to encourage everybody to, uh, to celebrate, to be joyful and know that, um, that God's will will triumph and we have a role to play and, uh, and it's going to be done as we say in Hebrew, besimcha, enjoy. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi Shmuel Bowman. He's a Torah scribe and also the executive director of Operation Life Shield. We partnered with him for, I guess it's around 15 years or so now. We're putting in about 180 the bomb shelters you put in, hundreds and hundreds, and we've done quite a few of them to protect Israeli lives. Always great to have you as our our resident rabbi for the Christian Embassy. Thank you, Tonara. And the happy program. Uh, we're going to uh, celebrate it as well. It's always a fun time for the staff to come in dressed in different ways. One of the funnest days in the year, year certainly. And um, uh, it gets me thinking, what am I going to dress like this year if, I'm, if I want to show myself different than I am the rest of the year? Okay, we'll give that some thought. I want to encourage everyone to read the book, The Scroll of Esther, uh, in the Tanakh and the Old Testament. Uh, as we get ready to celebrate it early next week. And join us again next week, next Thursday, here on the ICJ Weekly Webinar, Thursday, 4 p.m., Jerusalem time each week. We'll have another fascinating topic for you then. And, uh, of course, on Wednesday, 4 p.m., Israel time, we have the, the Global Prayer Gathering, the GPG so many people join that to pray with uh, Christian leaders from around the world, praying for Israel, the region, and your nations as well. You'll be encouraged and built up and calling out to God as you call out to God with us in prayer on the GPG. W wishing you a happy Purim and a warm Shalom from Jerusalem.